All right, let's turn to Jonah chapter 4. Actually, I'm going to begin with the last verse of chapter 3, reading, and then the first four verses. We're going to finish the whole book tonight with the Lord's help. But it's been quite a, a journey with Jonah. And if we've been honest with ourselves, we have put ourselves many times in his own shoes or sandals, as it were. But that's part of the the thrust of, of this of this account uh, it, a real prophet a real prophet of God who has been faithful to God in times past is given an assignment and he chooses not to take it and he chooses to run away from God When we do that, we should be very thankful that we have the same God that Jonah had. Eventually, after going through a tremendous experience on a boat and eventually in a submarine known as a whale... Jonah was used by God in a very special way as a sign for his own people about the Messiah. Three days and three nights. Just as Jonah was a sign. Being three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Coming out on the fourth day, resurrected. So shall the Son of Man be as well. And in the midst of that great conversation that he had with the Lord, in the prayer, the repentance, the Lord taking him to see the horrors of hell, that darkness of the whale. He goes on to do exactly as the Lord called him to do. But maybe not exactly as we would have liked for him to do. Did exactly what God told him to do. Five Hebrew words. Eight English words. And what do we see? The very people that Jonah hated for their wickedness, their evil, they all re- they repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes, primarily sackcloth. They mourned, they grieved. And God relented. 
and he did not judge them. Verse 10 tells us that God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would, not, that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But look at the first verse of, of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? It's as if Jonah is saying, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? It, it, this, is exactly, this is exactly what I was saying. Exactly what I was I knew you were going to do this. And therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. I knew this was going to happen. Then I tell you, Lord, <laughs> for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. And therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Let's remember that question. Doest thou well to be angry? Now, most, if not all of us, would have loved for the book of Jonah to have ended in great triumph at the last verse of chapter 3. That would have been the ideal place for this book to have stopped. Ah, oh, right? God saw their works, they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. He didn't do it. They repented. Perhaps the prophet Jonah would have been considered the greatest of God's prophetic messengers for giving the most succinct and powerfully effective message in five Hebrew words, motivating thousands upon thousands of people to repent and turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, how different the story would have been if it had just ended right then and there. But it didn't. The account doesn't end there. There's one more chapter. And all in all, the outward accomplishments are not all that the Lord looks at. There are a lot of people that look at outward accomplishments and they say, oh man, this is it. God is blessed. Good place to have a victory lap. But the outward accomplishments are not all that the Lord looks at or considers when it comes to his servants. He considers and focuses on our hearts and our motives. No matter what happens outwardly. You remember when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. God sends him there. He says, in that house, you're going to find the, king, the next king of Israel. And Jesse parades his handsome and strong sons before Samuel. And some of them look pretty good. And 
probably smell good and all that. But he says, but you know what? This is not enough. Do you have any other sons? They said, well, there's David. He's out tending sheep. He said, go get him. Right before all of that happened, The Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. He was, he was really looking at this one son. He said, Man, this, this, this guy may be the one. And the Lord has to tell Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. You know why that was important? Because Saul was a tall man and head over everyone else. He says, don't look at his countenance on the, or the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It was the heart that mattered. And the heart that matters all the time. And you know, it, it mattered when Saul was, was chosen king. Though it was the people's choice. God still looked at the heart. But there was going to be judgment coming. Because the people had refused God as their king. God looks on the heart. There's a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 that goes along with this very aspect of, of of how the Lord looks at what we do, and mostly not just so much what comes out of what we do, but actually what, what the hard motivation is. Because it says in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and, notice this phrase, will make manifest the counsels of the heart. God makes manifest. God reveals the counsels of the hearts of men. And then shall every man have praise of God when he knows our hearts. When, we know, when he knows, and, and he knows it already, doesn't he? God knows our heart before we even decide to take uh, on a, a, a ministry or decide to, you know, that you know, we're, we're, we're going to activate our, our calling, as it were. You see, chapter 4 of Jonah reveals the thoughts and intents of Jonah's heart, or Jonah's heart, which is how the Word of God exposes our hearts and motives, not to mention our sins. Everything is exposed through the Word of God. Take, for example, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12, that says, For the word of God is quick, or living, and alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and, notice this, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And what this passage is saying is that God's word cuts right through all profession of faith. 
It doesn't matter if a person professes Christ with their mouth. There are a lot of professors of faith. But not as many confessors who confess the Lord Jesus with their mouth and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. What Hebrews 4.12 is saying is that God's word cuts right through all profession of faith, stripping away everything that is merely natural from that which is truly spiritual. And that is what the Lord was doing with his prophet. He was stripping away everything that was natural to reveal what is spiritual. Jonah, who had been showered with God's mercies time and time again, is shown to have a hard heart. He may not have understood the depth of God's mercy. That God's mercy can reach down to the depth of humanity and save the most wicked, in this case represented by the Assyrian Ninevites. Jonah had difficulty accepting the fact that God could save a people as cruel and as wicked as they. And this was the great lesson on God's mercies that the prophet was to learn. He needed to learn this. Though he was a seasoned prophet. Though he had responded to God's calling years before. And served God faithfully. What does that say about us? If time is a matter to some people to say, well, I've been in the, I've been in the Lord for 60 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever. I've served the Lord. I'm, I pretty much know it all now. I mean, it, you know, things just come natural to me. Ooh, I don't think I'd say that. I don't want anything to come natural to me. I want everything to be spiritual. I want everything to come from the Lord through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. So this was going to be a great lesson on God's mercies that the prophet was was to learn. Think about those first words of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It displeased him exceedingly. He was very angry. Now, who was he angry at? Well, we know he was angry at God. He was angry that God didn't wipe them off the face of the earth. I mean, Jonah was extremely upset, even angry over God's goodness to the Ninevites. I mean, these pagans had repented, turned from their wicked ways, and God had been merciful to them. And Jonah, by the way, was the vessel that God used in spite of his heart. And instead of sending judgment down upon the people, the Lord had relented. In other words, he sympathized, he yielded, he gave up his proclamation, or he gave up on his proclamation to destroy the Ninevites for their wickedness. In other words, he he turned back his wrath. God can do that. Being that he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, he, he can do that. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. 
And while this, this little book of Jonah does speak of God's mercies toward the unbelieving people, the, the heathens, especially in particular the, the Ninevites, this is, this is a statement by God of Jonah's heart that could become any of our hearts at any given time. He spared the Ninevites, as we read in verse 10 of chapter 3. They would not be destroyed as, as God had warned through the preaching of his prophet Jonah. But why would the repentance of salvation of the Ninevites displease Jonah so much? Why would his response be so negative? After all, he had been the instrument whom the Lord had chosen to warn them of impending judgment. Actually, he should have been rejoicing and praising God instead of showing his hot displeasure over what took place. But here's the reality, and I've already said it. Jonah was furious with the Lord. But Jonah did something right. He did something right. Verse 2 tells us he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Wasn't this what I was saying when I was all the way back in Israel? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and, and repentest thee of the evil. <laughs> he is proclaiming that wonderful compassion and character of God although he's really upset with God. You're a gracious God, Lord. True. Ding. You're merciful. That's right. Ding. Slow to anger. Yes. Ding. And of great kindness. Yes. Ding. And repentance of the evil. Ding. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. Ah! Oops. Oops. He was doing so well. Oh, take my, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, now, Jonah does take his cause before the Lord to discuss his anger. He didn't keep it stored up in his heart, nor did he rant and rave and share his anger with others. Which is a good lesson here, by the way. In fact, he did exactly what he should have done. He did get alone, and he did pray. And he did share with the Lord why he was so angry and upset. 
Though we don't think about it in those terms, sometimes that's probably what we need to do with God. Because he already knows our hearts anyway. He already knows them. But to hear it from us, from the heart through our lips to his ears, is a good way of coming to grips with what we've done or what we haven't done. But in addressing the Lord, Jonah said that he, he knew what the Lord would do when he first called him. The Lord would save Nineveh. And this little exchange was a clear admission on Jonah's part that he, had, that he held prejudice. He held prejudice within his heart against the Ninevites because of their wicked lifestyle and their brutal mistreatment of others. So think about this. Do, do we have difficulty accepting the fact that the Lord would save a people who are so utterly depraved? You know, we can get into a lot of the political and, and um, global kind of issues that are taking place all over the world, you know, terrorists and, and whatnot, and, and, you know, we, we, we become angry, you know. We're, we're ready at that moment in time to, you know, just condemn every terrorist in this world, you know. And what we should could do is condemn what they're doing and what their acts are going to be or what their acts have been. But we have to commit them to the Lord, to the Lord's hands. Our military people have a job to do, and they do their job well. And they're called, in, 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 in essence, they're called by God to do what they do. But it weighs heavy. I know that it weighs heavy on, on law enforcement officers when they have to use their weapons against someone. And they have to use that kind of force. I've dealt with people that have to bear, you know, they have to bear that with them all the time. They've done their job. They get checked, you know, they go, go through the, you know, their investigations and all. But, and they, and they do so with a great level of, of uh, professionalism. But I've counseled many afterward, and I realize even just the taking of a life, because it was justified. It's not like watching them on TV from week to week, you know, all the shoot 'em ups By the end of the show, you know, some 30 people are all down, but they were all bad. So all the, all the ones that took them down, they go to the next, uh, you know, the next episode. Very unrealistic. It's painful. But if they've done their job well, God will bless them. The point here is that the heart is again what God is looking at. And Jonah's heart was unrepentant when it comes to what his view was of the Ninevites. And then he even, you know, the, of course he rejected God's call and he fled to Tarshish. God brought him back into his ministry and he even, and then Jonah even confesses that he knew God's character. 
For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness and repentance of the evil. By the way, that word knew, that he knew the Lord, when he says, I knew that thou art a gracious God. That word is the word yada in the, in the Hebrew, and it means a close, intimate, experiential knowledge. In other words, Jonah had personally experienced or benefited from these very same wonderful traits of God in his own life. He knew that the Lord was gracious and merciful. He knew that he was compassionate. He knew that the Lord was slow to anger and abounding in love. He knew that the Lord was willing to repent or turn away from executing his judgment. You know how he knew? It had just been poured out upon him. Jonah 1, verses 15 through 17. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's God's mercy. That was God's compassion on his prophet, on his servant. Jonah 2, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. In other words, there was God's mercy to restore his life and restore his calling. Jonah 3, verses 1 and 2, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. The great mercy and grace of God to give Jonah that opportunity to go again and and, and, and reestablish the calling that he had received initially, to go to Nineveh. And Jonah obeys the Lord. But when Jonah looked at the Ninevites and he saw, you know, he saw a cruel, wicked people who oppressed and subdued others through the most violent acts of brutality imaginable. So in his mind, a, a, a people so ruthless and evil needed to be punished and not saved. Jonah was so discouraged and distressed over the situation that he demanded God to take his life. We saw that in verse 3. Just take my life. You know, it's almost as if he's saying, I'll take my chances. as to where I'll, where I'll end up. In effect, he did that on the boat. Throw me over. But when we are faithless, Paul said to Timothy, when we are faithless, God remains faithful. God remains faithful. So the Lord now asks Jonah a probing question. Verse 4, then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Literally, the Lord said to Jonah, and by the way, he said in a very tender way. He said, is anger good for you, Jonah? Is anger good for you? The only answer to this question is no. No anger is good for anyone. Anger is good for no man. Just the very fact that the Lord posed this question to his angry and grieving prophet 
was wonderful proof that God is just, as Jonah described him. God is gracious and merciful. God is slow to anger. God is of great kindness. Because let's face it, a lesser God would have answered Jonah's prayer at once by slaying him on the spot. A lesser God would have said, well, yeah, you have kind of wasted my time. And you haven't done a thing that I've said. So yeah, okay, boom. You're gone. But that's not our God. His question to Jonah was tender. His question... was really all that God asked. You ever put, been put under a microscope, I mean, with questions, you know, you, maybe a boss or, you know, a supervisor or something, and, and, and they don't just ask you one question. Or when you get interrogated, where were you on the night of this and that? And, where, you know, what did you do? And what did you wear? What did you, where were you? You know, we're going we're gonna to really, he asked one question. Is anger good for you? Doest thou well to be angry? He expected Jonah to think through the question. When God asks us questions, Do we have ready answers? Well, think about that. He wanted the prophet to think about the question and think it through. Is anger good for you, Jonah? He wanted Jonah to realize his anger was not justified. It was directed toward their repentance and toward God's mercies. I want you to consider, if you will, the words of Paul, the apostle to the Ephesian church, when he writes in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, he says, Be ye angry and sin not. Be angry in what way? Be angry at sin. Be angry at unrighteousness. Be angry at what those things do in your life. And don't sin. Be angry at sin, but don't sin. We oftentimes call this righteous indignation. We're people of God and God hates sin and so we need to hate it too. But we better be careful how we hate it. Notice the next phrase says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't keep seething. In that hatred or in that anger. And notice now he calls it wrath, not so much anger. A deeper aspect of anger but then he really makes it clear 
Neither give place to the devil. Because the devil will try to build on that anger of yours if it isn't put away before the sun goes down. Which means we need to take it to the Lord. We need to take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't let anything magnify the anger beyond what righteous anger may be. Because you see, Jonah's anger was the kind that holds contempt. An anger that is full of malice. That despises and scorns. In fact, the word that is used there is the word raka. Empty or worthless. Having that kind of scorn toward others, you know, raka. Using that word to call others empty or call others worthless. Jesus used that word in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.22. But he said, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, Moros in the Greek, which means a stupid blockhead. We're not talking the Three Stooges here, okay? They use that, per, you know, Mo always called, you know, Curly a block, uh, you know, knucklehead or blockhead, same thing. Calling him a fool. Calling your brother, don't, don't call him that. Don't call anyone that. Because you'll be in danger of hellfire. Wow, that's quite a judgment. In Proverbs 21, verse 24, it says, Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. Proud wrath. It's okay, there's a wrath that is seated in the pride of a person that places that person in his own mind and heart above everybody else. And if that is what is being said here in this particular proverb, reflecting what Jonah had in his own heart, what was it saying about Jonah? That he considered himself better than those heathen Ninevites. And pride began to come out. God knew this. God saw that. And this is the reason why he says to him, doest thou well to be angry? Is anger good for you? In James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let, of, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Your anger will never bring about the righteousness of God in any situation until that anger is put away, until that anger is destroyed. This is what 
Jonah was dealing with. This is what God was revealing in his life. This is what God was revealing in Jonah's heart. That kind of anger. So what Jonah is going to learn now is the depth of God's mercy. And by the way, not just for the Ninevites, but God's mercy for him. So Jonah went out of the city, verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there made him a booth, a little temporary dwelling place. And sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. That's a really interesting statement. The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a Viamanese wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. One moment he's happy, another moment he's really, really angry again. So getting back just a little bit, probably having seen more sackcloth than he had ever wanted to see, <laughs> the brooding surly Jonah t- turned his back on Nineveh. Everybody's wearing sackcloth. I'm out of here, man. I, I, they've all repented, you know. I'm, 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 I'm leaving this place. So he went to the east side of the city, and there he made a shack in which to wait for events to unfold. So now he's, he's thinking that perhaps the desired judgment might still fall on the wicked Ninevites. That's why he said, I'm going to wait to see what's going to happen in this city. In his thinking, if the Ninevites had genuinely repented of their sins and truly turned to the Lord, well, nothing would then happen at the end of 40 days. But if their repentance was superficial, if their repentance was hypocritical, then Jonah knew that God would carry out his judgment upon the city when the 40 days were up. So it kind of, again, reveals to us the heart of Jonah as he, as, you know, he, he does what the Lord tells him, but he's very angry at the results. But he says, there's still a little window here for me. There's a little window for me to look at this city, and if they really did not repent, then, then I'll be happy when that fire comes down from heaven and destroys Nineveh and destroys all these people and destroys all their cattle. And destroys all their homes. But the weather was hot that day. It was hot and it was oppressive. As it is so often in eastern lands like that. So that the Lord took pity on the prophet. He prepared him a gourd. There's that word again. We've seen it before. Back when he prepared a whale for Jonah. The whale, by the way, obeyed the Lord. And God prepared them a gourd 
just as he had prepared the great fish for Jonah. All for Jonah, all for showing his mercies and kindness toward his servant. But then shortly, even a a worm would be prepared by the Lord for Jonah. He prepared a worm. A worm that would actually go and, 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 and start eating the inside of this particular plant that it's called a gourd here, and it, 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 and, and it uh, withered, and then it died, and he didn't have that cover any longer over him. But that worm had been prepared by the Lord for Jonah. And then let's not forget the vehement east wind, because <laughs> God prepared the wind too. Whale, worm, wind. I'm sure I'm glad they're all W's, you know, that. Kind of makes for a good sermon. All creation is at the Lord's command. All creation is at God's command. The Hebrew word translated gourd here, kikayon is the word. It only occurs here in the Hebrew scriptures. The only time here. Some believe it is an Egyptian kiki plant. That's actually what it's called. But that's known as the castor oil plant which grows about 8 to 10 feet high. It has one large leaf that grows on a singular branch, but collectively, you know, they have more than one branch, so there'll be more, more leaves. And these, these leaves grow to be a foot, foot and a half uh, in length. So when they're put together, it's, it, it actually provides some fairly good covering. There are others who believe that this is the Syrian Elkeroa plant that has, again, large leaves and grows to a considerable height in just a few days. In other words, they, they grow really fast. They kind of have the same characteristics as our, our weeds here in the Southwest. Because weeds in, in a day's time can actually grow pretty quick. They just don't have good cover. You know, you can't get any good shade from weeds. But I would think that if you waited long enough, you probably could. But we don't like to see them out there. So... The Lord knew that Jonah was uncomfortable sitting in that booth that he had made. So he prepared the gourd for Jonah. And Jonah was happy. Happy, 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 happy. He was just happy. He said he was exceedingly glad. That's happy. The next morning, God's God's prepared worm now enters the picture and kills the gourd. Jonah is now unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. Sad, sad, sad. At the prepared vehement desert east wind, and the prophet now wanted to die even more. He's far beyond unhappy now. Consider that as he had done in as he had done in the depths of the sea, the Lord was reminding Jonah of what it was like. To be lost. He was reminding Jonah of what it is like to be lost, to be helpless, to be hopeless, and to be miserable for all eternity. And once again, Jonah tasted of hell as he sat and watched the city. How was he watching? Maybe they will blow it and God will just destroy them. Then I'll be happy, happy, happy. Here's a test of character. 
Here's a test of character. Let's ask ourselves, what makes us happy? What makes us angry? And what makes us want to give up? What makes us happy? What makes us angry? And what makes us want to give up? That in just a couple of verses was Jonah. He went from happy to angry to completely despondent and ready to, to give it all up. Jonah lacked the wisdom of God and he lacked the ways of God. What ways were those? Everything that Jonah had said earlier about God. That he was a gracious God. That he was a compassionate God. That he was slow to anger. He was plenteous in mercy. In James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8 it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Jonah had been around God long enough to know that if he had asked, the Lord would would have spoken to him. The Lord would have given him the wisdom. Have you ever found yourself not asking any right question at all? Sometimes we don't ask the right questions. Because we've allowed anger to get in the way of everything that we do for the Lord. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He gives to you without restraint. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. There's another aspect, I think, that we we find Jonah not having at this point. Trust in the Lord. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with a wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Everything that happens to people, everything that happens, is going to happen under the eye and the guidance and direction of God. What makes us happy? What makes us angry? What makes us want to give up? Being double-minded. One minute Jonah is preaching God's word. The next minute he's disobeying it and fleeing his post of duty. Inside the whale he asked the Lord to deliver him. Outside the city he asked the Lord to kill him. He called a great city to repent. But he wouldn't repent himself. Remember this. The whale, the Ninevites, the gourd, the worm, and the wind all obeyed God. But Jonah refused to obey. There was a, there was a passage that I, I really wanted to share with you tonight, and I'm going to go back and look for it. I didn't put it in my notes, but it's actually the words uh, of Job when all of disaster was falling upon him and his household, the very onset of of the book of Job. 
And I believe it's in chapter 2 where he's speaking to his wife. And after all of these things, and she said to him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? This is Job 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She tells him, You know what? You should be cursing God. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job didn't sin in, in making that statement to her. Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And that was Jonah. Happy one minute, but the circumstances change, and what happens? Angry the next. Situation changes a little bit deeper and a little bit harder, a little bit rougher, and what's next? You know what? I'm giving up. Double-mindedness. In Jonah, after years of faithful service, what does that say, folks? To us who have known the Lord for any amount of time, any good amount of time, we are subject to the things that Paul, that, that David, I'm sorry, that, that, that John mentioned, you know, uh, when he talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Constantly being after us. Constantly attacking us. The principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness of, of this world, the, the, the spiritual wickedness in high places, the things that we wrestle with the most. We cannot even begin to say, you know, well, I, I've been in the Lord long enough, you know, I, I, I'll be okay. We have to live every day trusting the Lord. Believing that good can happen, but so can bad. Then what will I say? It's not a matter of being happy or angry or being happy and sad. It is a matter of being filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In Lamentations, the Lamentations of Jeremiah, this five-chapter book written after, the, you know, uh, as a, really a, a supplement to the book of, Jer of Jeremiah. But here's five chapters that deal with the crying out to God because of what was coming, the destruction that was, that was taking place in, in Judah and in Israel. But in the very midst of this cry from the prophet, Lamentations 3, verse 22, it is a prophet who, who waits upon the Lord. It's a prophet who says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. And therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. When we are so fickle, in a sense, to, you know, to be happy one day and, and sad the next, and even sad 
sadder the next day and, and to the point of just complete despair. There has been no waiting on the Lord. There's been no crying unto God. There is no waiting and hope. The only hope, listen to this, that the only hope that Jonah had was that the Ninevites would, would fail in their repentance and go back to their way of living. Because he knew then that God would destroy them. But obviously that wasn't happening. And where Jonah needed to learn about the depth of God's mercies, here at the end of the book, God reveals his grace. The grace of Almighty God is revealed. Verse 8. I really want to be at verse 9, but I put in my notes, so we'll read verse 8 to tie it in. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Again, in tender words. And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Wow, what a response. And then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored. In other words, you didn't plant the gourd. You didn't see it, see it and water it and whatever. Neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city? wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. And that's where Jonah ends, with that question posed to Jonah. Should not I spare Nineveh where there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. You know what he's talking about? We all know our right hand from our left, right? Sometimes though we get a little confused and we say, no, the other right, oh, the other left. We might have to say that. But we, for the most part, we know. But who doesn't know? Babies. Babies don't know. And I would have wiped out all of those children. Hundred and twenty thousand. And their cattle too. So again the Lord gently asked Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Or doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Jonah's answer revealed that something was wrong. Something was wrong with his sense of values. His was the callousness that comes from allowing sin to go unjudged until all capacity to discern between right and wrong appears to have departed from him. 
But what grace is revealed in the Lord's reply? Grace that accomplished its purpose. Since Jonah had no word of self-justification to offer. And he permitted the Lord to have the last word and close his record abruptly. As if it were too sacred and private a nature to publish it abroad. The Lord's question in verse 11 is unanswerable. Jonah grieved the loss of the gourd because it ministered to his comfort. The Lord God yearned over the sinners of Nineveh because he loved them. How different, how opposite were master and servant. And sadly, the lessons we learned from Jonah, a believer, a man called by God, a prophet, The lessons we learn are how not to behave. How not to behave. Jonah ran away from God. Don't run away from God because you're going to keep running into him. Just sage advice. He rebelled against God. Rebelling against God doesn't... doesn't, doesn't, uh, do you any good? Disobeying God. Arguing with God. Even questioning God's judgment. Jonah was acting selfishly. He was grumbling and he was moping. And he showed no concern for lost souls. I'm sure he was concerned for the souls of the Israelites. His own people. He was a prophet to them. And as I said, he served the Lord faithfully to them. But Jesus said, love those who hate you. Love those who despise you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. So the Lord God has used the story of Jonah for centuries to teach the importance of obeying God, of witnessing to the lost, and of giving great hope to the most depraved of society. That 120,000 in Nineveh that didn't know their right hand from their left, They didn't choose their Assyrian king. They were born into this world just like you and me, lost, because we were born in sin. And God says, I want to rescue them. So Jonah could tell them that unless they repent, I will destroy them in 40 days. That is all that Jonah did. In in, in effect, he was obedient to that point. But every prophet 
that we see in scripture that is worthy of the name prophet. They wept for their people. They wept for the lost. Let me leave you with some very familiar words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. An interesting end to a, a book of a prophet. It ends with a question mark. That's good for us. So that we can hear the question that God gave to Jonah. When he says, doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be angry at the gourd? Should I not spare Nineveh? We have to answer those questions in our hearts. If ever we find ourselves in a situation like Jonah, I think it would be easy to say that Jonah trusted God because he was used by God as a very significant sign to the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. When all they were doing was confronting Jesus over one thing or another, Show us a sign. I'm not going to show you a sign, but the sign of Jonah. God is faithful. And the fact of the matter is God is faithful to his own people. So whether we wonder or not, will we see Jonah in heaven? We certainly will. We certainly will. Will we see some Ninevites in heaven? Probably so. Probably so. Will we see people in heaven that we never thought would be there? Yes. And guess what they're thinking when they see us? <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. So let's get there. And let's get there with a good heart. With a obedient heart. Let's get there with a faithful heart. Let's get there. with a loving heart.